Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. We have all become uh, followers of Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have uh, become a follower of Christ because someone was uh, a witness to you. Someone shared the gospel with you. And so, again, today's going to look a little bit different. We have got two uh, teachings, so buckle in. You get a treat. Um, I'm going to invite Raymond up, and he's going to share with us a little bit about uh, missions. And then we're going to get into uh, a little bit more of worship. And then we're going to continue uh, wrapping up our series in this disciple series. And we're going to be talking about what it is to be a student. So a little bite-sized uh, teaching and then another full full sermon. So you're in for a treat. So Raymond, why don't you come up? Let me pray for you. And i um, excited to hear what you have to, to share with us today. Hey, Father, we, we thank you that we can come together today to, uh, to hear from your word, to hear um, what it is to be witnesses and students. Um, God, would we uh, just delight in who you are? Would it outflow from our hearts, um, off of our lips, into uh, our, our lives? And would we share the, the good news of Jesus with people? God, would we be students of your word as well, just delighting in knowing who you are from your word? Um, God, your word is life uh, gives life to us let it nourish us let it nourish our soul would we go to you in all that we do god i pray for raymond as he uh, comes up and and speaks for us god would you open our hearts to to hear uh, what he's prepared and and um yeah would we just delight in uh in your word today we love you praise in your name amen all you thanks graham good morning <laughs> good to see you uh Graham is a great guy. Uh, he, he told me you can take as much time as you want. So I won't be here, uh, you know, uh, more than one hour. You know. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just <laughs> so I'm glad to be here. I, al I already feel part of the family, actually. We came here a few times, and, uh, and uh, I, I love the, the multi-ethnicity and nationalities that presents here. It's, it's a beautiful picture of... Uh, of really heaven. Amen. Yes. <laughs> it's because the, 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 in Revelation says uh, there'll be uh, from every tribe, people, tongue, and language standing before the throne of God and worshiping God. So I love this. I love this picture. I think, I think Canada, it's about that. The churches all over across, it's, it's about that from, from, from all over. And in heaven, we're going to be from every tribe, from every people, tongue, and language worshiping God. Amen. This is, this is great. doesn't matter what language, but... <laughs> That's, that's wonderful. So, so I'm, you know, uh, this is my wife, Hannah. My name is Raymond, and uh, as you know, I got three children, Ruth, uh, David, and my son, and Naomi. Uh, and we're waiting for Ruth to get married so we can get her room <laughs> to be here more often. No, I'm just, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we're so glad, you know, we pray, pray for them that God would, uh, yeah. But we're glad they have us in their, in their uh, little apartment when, whenever we come down, uh, whenever we have appointment at the hospital. Thank you for praying also for me because, you know, uh, next week I'll have a surgery, my thyroid surgery, surgery for, uh, for the nodule be taken out. It's okay. It's part of life, you know. <laughs> but thank God in heaven we'll have a perfect body, isn't it? No sickness, no disease, no sorrow, no war, no pandemic, no corona. Amen. You know, we live a perfect life. But here we're just passing through, you know, and God called us, called each one of us, uh, you know, to himself, and, and, uh, and we come here to worship him, and also part, like, you know, don't look at us as, oh, you're a missionary, you went to overseas for, you know, 13 years, and you're going to share. No, I think each one of you, each one of us is missionary, actually, wherever you are. You don't have to go overseas. Listen, overseas people are coming over here, so this is a mission field in Montreal and all over, seriously, you know, so you could, wherever God put you, you can be a witness to him. You know, he said, you, you, are, you, are, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You know, he said, he said go and make disciples of every nation. T 
teaching them everything I've taught you. So that's not only for the disciples. That's for, uh, it's my time's up? No, okay. <laughs> it's not one hour yet. So, so, I <laughs> so, so everywhere God puts you, you're, on, you're, on, you're, a mission, you're in a mission field. You got around you people need to know about Christ. He said, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the good thing I like about the last part that most of us forget, he said, and I will be with you, will be with you always to the end of the earth. So when you go and, and, and be witness, we're not going by ourselves, you know. We are weak people. I mean, they look at us, oh, you go, and, but we are weak. If we don't rely on his power that he said, I am with you wherever you go. I will be with you until the end of the earth. And whenever you go and share, don't be afraid to share Christ. Don't be afraid what people, they're going to mock you or, or, or look at you as a weird, you know, Christian person. No, because, you know, we need to be witness. He said, I'll send you like a, like a lamb among the wolves, you know. So we are weak. The lamb is relying on what the shepherd, you know. The shepherd is the one taking care of the sheep. He's the one that uh, cares for them, protect them from the wolves, protect them from... So we are his sheep, and he's protecting us wherever we go. So I just wanted to encourage you. Uh, God called us, like I served a church in uh, north of Ottawa, in uh, bilingual church, for 17 years. But uh, Hannah and I, God, God called us to go and, and, and just, you know, reach our people uh, in, in Turkey. And, and that's, that's where the time in 2011 when the war in Syria started and... Many refugees started coming over across the border into Turkey. Uh, and we had, like, uh, you know, first started coming by, by like, a, a few of them and hundreds. And then a thousand. And then in 2013, there were millions. And, and, and until reached, like, almost two and a half million Syrian refugees in Turkey. And they all need to know about Christ. They all need, they came hungry. They came really seeking to say. And, and they were wondering, like, why God allows wars why, why our homes is destroyed? Why our family died with the bombing? Why people killing each other because they're different, you know, from each other? Why there's wars and, 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 and suffering? So this is an opportunity was for, for, for all of us to share with them. Well, listen, God, he made the perfect world, you know, in heaven, but we messed it up. Adam and Eve listened to the serpent, the devil that came and deceived them. And he said, you know, no, no, God didn't say not to eat from the tree in the middle, you know. But if you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you become like God, you know. And that's what it happened. It's all started in the Garden of Eden and they got sinned. They sinned. They listened to the devil, then listened to God. And, and, and God expelled them. He kicked them out of, of the Garden of Eden. And he told the man, by your sweat, you will eat your bread. And the ground you, you, you plow, you will have a thorn, you know. So you know how hard you have to work to earn your bread, isn't it? Everybody has to work. If you don't, you don't work, you don't eat. And even to the woman, he said, by childbearing, you'll have a lot of suffering. And woman who has baby knows how hard it is. That's all result of sin. You know, that's all. But he made a great promise. You know, he said to the, the serpent also, he, he said, you will crawl on your belly and eat dust the rest of your life. But he said, I put enmity between you and the offspring of the woman. From the woman, one will come and he will crush the head of the serpent, which is the devil. Who came from a, from a woman? That a question we ask the people. Who came from? We all know our father and mother. We came from father and mother, isn't it? But there's one person doesn't have a father. He came just from a woman. And that is Jesus Christ. The, the, the angel came and, and, and announced to her. He said, you will have, you know, you'll have a child. She said, what? I'm a single. I don't have a man. You know, I'm not married. Like, you know, how can I have a child? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't like, doesn't add up. How can I be pregnant, you know? Since I have no man, I don't, you know, I don't know any man. He said, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the one born of you is from God, from the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus Christ came from a, from a, from a virgin. That's a miraculous birth. And he did all the miracles he, he did. And, 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 and he raised the dead. He, I mean, you know, most of the miracles walk on water. He healed the sick. He cast demons. He uh, uh, opened the eyes of the blind. I mean, who can, who can raise people from the dead? Who can give life to a person dead four days in, in the grave? And he said, come forward. You know, and he, he came. So that's only God, isn't it? Christ, Christ came and, and, and uh, God made the flesh and dwelt among us in Christ Jesus. So, so Christ told his disciples that I will die on the cross and rose on the third day. They didn't understand that. And sure enough, he died and was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the grave. And he showed himself to more than 500 people over 40 days. All of them. One, one of the disciples, he said, no, I don't believe until I see with my eyes and put my finger on the, on the hole of his hand and see. And that's Thomas. You remember, eh? 
and he appeared to him in the, in the room, and he said, come, come, Thomas, put your hand. And he knelt down. He said, my God, my Lord, he believes. So he said, blessed are the one who believes and not yet seen, and that's us. Have you seen Christ physically, like with your eyes? But you do believe in your heart that he's alive, yeah? And, and you believe that he forgives your sin. He died on the cross for your sin. So, so uh, blessed are the one who believes and not is seen. So he rose again. He showed himself to, to more than 500 people, and he ascended to heaven, and he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. Amen? And we wait for his coming. So uh, shortly, that's, that's what we share, actually. It took me, like, what, three minutes? You share the creation Christ, the story from Adam and Eve, how they sinned and how we all inherited the sin. We all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. There's no exception. The only person walked on this earth without sin, he was sinless, is Jesus Christ. We all have sinned, and we need him. He came to forgive our sin and take, take our sin upon him. So that's the message we share with the people when, when they come, and they're all like really their eyes open because they know, they want to know what happened in the world, why the world is like in turmoil, why the world has suffering because of sin, sin in the heart of man. In the family, they fight with one another. Husband and wife fight with one another because of sin, because of the selfishness we live in. That's a selfish word. That comes from sin, you know, and we struggle with ourselves because of sin. But one day, we're going to be a perfect body in heaven. Amen? So that's what's happening in the world, and that's what the message we need to bring to the world around us. We are all missionaries. God all called us. Uh, to be his witness wherever we go. So we went there, and people start coming. Refugees are hungry to hear. It doesn't matter what, what background, what religion they are. They all need Christ, really, whether Muslim background, Buddhist background, atheist, anybody, they need to know Christ came into this earth 2,000 years ago to, to, to forgive our sin and to take up our sin upon himself and give us life eternal. Amen? So that's, uh, that's the message. So we, we start sharing with people, and then, and uh, creation to Christ, and uh, some of the stories also we share with them. Uh, you know, I mean, God, God really helped us because we are weak, but he helped us, you know, as we go visit with people, drink tea with them, uh, you could do that here. Uh, you share with them stories from the Bible, or you share with them the story of, uh, of how Christ came into this earth and died on the cross. Many of them, many of them, for the first time they hear it. Many of them, they have it in their religion also, in their book, but it's twisted, you know, they don't know what it is. They say, oh, he didn't die. Somebody looks like him. Or this happened, that happened. But that's the story that never changes. To talk about, uh, oh, thank you, Graham. It's easy to talk about uh, uh, hockey or about uh, politics, about what's happening in the world, you know, and uh, about this prime minister or this president, or what you like or you don't like. Uh, what's but, but you know what? This is easy to talk, and you can talk for an hour, but I don't know why it's hard for us to talk about Christ, to talk about the stories of the Bible. That's what the people need to hear. So I'm just encouraging you, you know, wherever you are, you don't have to go overseas. Wherever you are, you can reach out the people with the gospel. One of the lawyers that came became a Christian. He's a refugee too. He said to me, uh, he said, Raymond, uh, if I didn't lose all my house, my office a a lawyer, as a lawyer and, and my car, I wouldn't have come to, as a refugee to Turkey and hear the story of Christ. I said, I don't know. So Christ, you know, it, he took everything from him, maybe just to become a refugee. He came with his kids. He didn't have, he just a small bag of his clothing. He lost it even on the border. He had nothing. But he came and he gained Christ and he became saved, him and his family. And he said, you know, that's, that's, that's what I need. He said, maybe I lost everything so I can come to know him. So this is, this is a great opportunity. You know, the, 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 the opportunity, people come here. I know many of them don't have anything, but they have Christ. And when you have Christ, you have everything. You know, he owns the world. Amen. So one is so short story about the lady. Hannah was uh, going into a mosque, and we saw a lady. She was uh, sitting, uh, crying, you know, to the people because her husband kicked her out uh, because he had another woman. 
You know, in their religion, you know, they're allowed to have more than a woman. <laughs> so he had another woman. He kicked her out, and she was crying. She was sleeping on the floor in the courtyard of the mosque there. And he said, what's wrong? How can we help you? She said, that's just what happened to me, and I'm kicked out, and I don't have no place to go. Can you help me? And then Hannah, she said, well, can we help? I said, I don't know where to take it. We talked. We made a few calls. And then person, he said, sure enough, there's a place, a camp for, the, for only women, you know, that are suffering. So we said, yeah, we can, we can, you know, help you. And we walked, and Hannah shared with her the story that I told you about, creation, Christ, how Christ. And she said, oh, every time you mention Christ, I feel like my, something in my body, like this is this power in that thing. And then Hannah kept sharing the same story that we talked about. And, and, uh, and then uh, we went and uh, we had a group of people walking, you know. We were walking around and they were from the States, you know, visiting and walking, praying for the city of Antioch uh, in Turkey. And then this lady, she, she sat down and then, uh, and then we prayed for, for her and we, sh we shared with her. Uh, and we said, we're going to help you. Uh, there's a place for you. Uh, you know, you can go and, and uh, you know, stay there uh, and they will take care of you and everything. She said, she shared with us a, 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 a dream that she saw the night before. And guess what the dream is? You see how God works. She said, you know, I saw myself in the desert and I, was, I had nothing. I was running like crazy and crying. I was hungry and thirsty. And all of a sudden I saw a white horse, uh, a man on the white, white horse. He came down and he picked me up from the desert and he came and he threw me, uh, he, he threw me there in the midst of, uh, of a people. And the people that they saw me, they said, don't worry, we are Christian. We believe in Christ and we're going to take care of you. He said, you are the people I saw in my dream. Can you believe that? Like, I'm not big on a dream, but I said, yeah, I'm not like, I'm, you know, a little bit like whatever in the Bible. That's what I believe. But then I said, my God, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what God is doing. He's working in the lives of people. And she said, you are the people that I saw in my dream, that you're Christian and you, you prayed for me. So I, we prayed and we were praying and I was praying and I was saying, Christ is real. And he, he brought you here to save you and touch your life. He said, don't tell me he's real because when you're praying, I could see him opening his arm to me to say, come, you know, I, I will take care of you. And this lady became Christian, and we gave her the DVD that has a, a Christ movie on it. She put it inside. She says, I'm going to show this to my children. She has children. I'm going to show this to everybody. This is the truth, you know. So she went to the camp. After a week, we visited her in the camp to see how she was doing. I said, are you happy? Do you need anything? They're taking care of you. She said, yeah, but everybody telling me I'm crazy. I lost it here. I said, why? We didn't understand. She said, why are they saying you're crazy? She said, because I was sharing Christ with everyone. And they said, you're crazy. <laughs> I said, don't worry. They say that about us too. We are crazy too. But amen, we're crazy for Christ. We need to be crazy for Christ. Amen? So don't be afraid to share the gospel with everyone where you are. And, then, and at the end there, Graham, I'm not going to take too long. So at the end there, there's a story that I'd like some of you to read it in Mark chapter 5. Quickly, can, that's the last thing. Can somebody read that? I don't know, Graham, if somebody can read that. It's a story of the bleeding woman. In Mark chapter 5, and starting from verse 25. I don't know if somebody, if somebody volunteered to read this. No? All right, all right, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. Thank you, Peter. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with, a con with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind, behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Should I keep reading? Mm -hmm. Should I keep reading? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Jesus realized at once that that healing power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around. How can you ask who touched, who touched me? But he kept on looking around and to see who had done it. Then he, then the Friday woman, trembling at the re realization of what, of what had happened to her, 
came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she, has done, what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made, has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her. Okay, good. Thank you. This is great. So he said, Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. So this is a woman. She was suffering for 12 years with the bleeding for a long time. <clears throat> and this woman, it says in the, in the story that she has spent everything she has, isn't it? She went to a doctor's, you know, in, 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 um, in, um, in California and the doctors in uh, Toronto and all the, the best doctor they told her about, you know, in Galilee and Jerusalem. And she, they said, it says, you know, the story, she spent everything she had. She must be rich. And she didn't get well. You know what happened to her? It get even worse. Did you notice? It says it gets worse. So that's really frustrating. Like if you put everything you have, you know, tons of money, you know, thousands of dollars, and yet, you know, instead of the doctor helping you, you get even worse. So you lose faith with those doctors, you know. <laughs> they're all like, you know, they're not helping me. And, and this lady suffered, but then she heard about Christ coming to the town. What she did, she said to herself, if I go just and touch, she knows he's a miracle healer. I mean, he's, he heals people. And when she heard about it, she said to herself, if I just go touch the side of his robe, you know, his clothes, just, just to touch, and then I'll be healed. That's what she thought. So, but there was a large crowd because everybody heard about, about Christ, you know, he's, he does miracles. And imagine, like, I don't know how many thousand people, you know, they'd say it's a large crowd. So I don't know, like, you know, you, you've been in a, in a protest in Montreal or in whatever, you know, you see when the crowd pushed and then, like, it was a large crowd around him. So this woman pushed her way. I'm sure she was weak, you know, she doesn't have the strength because she's, you know, the bleeding and her condition, but she really had faith that if I just touch him, if I go there and touch him, and then she pushed herself through the crowd and pushed herself, and imagine just, the, you know, pushing herself through the men and women that gathering around, she's, everybody wants to see Jesus, everyone wants to see this guy that opening the blind's eyes and walking on water and turning water into wine and making all these miracles, and, and she pushed, she arrived and she touched him, and Bang! What happened? The bleeding stopped right away, it says. Right away. She felt, wow, I'm healed. So Christ turned and he told the disciple, who touched me? He said, come on, Lord. I mean, are you serious? Like you say, who touched you? Like they look at the crowd around you. They're all pushing. <laughs> and you say, who touched me? He said, no, no, no. Somebody touched me. And this woman, she was afraid. She, she came down. She said, I did, Lord. He said, he said, woman, he said, Go. Your faith has healed you. She has the courage to, to say, and you know, you know the culture, like I don't have time to, you know, I wish I, but you know the culture there, a bleeding woman, for the culture, the Jewish culture is what? It's unclean. So wherever she walks, people get away from her. Whatever she touches, it's unclean. You know, anything she touches is unclean because it's a bleeding woman, you know, it's like unclean for them. But she came and she pushed and she touched Christ and she got banged, she got healed. She was like, she lost hope, frustrated for 12 years seeing doctors, 12 years seeing the, the specialists and seeing the top doctors and spending all her money traveling here and there. And yet, bang, one touch, she was healed. You know, that's, that's our Lord. That's our Christ. So what we share with people, I'm going to finish with this. And I want you to really keep those five questions. Okay. This is very important. Five questions. When you share a story, any story like this, you know, in your own words, you know, uh, you, you, you ask those five questions. The first question is, what do you like about it? And I'm going to ask this to you. So quickly, what do you like about the story? Faith. The faith of the woman. Great faith. She said, just touch. Great. Daughter, yes. Yes, I like that. A lot of things you like about this story, isn't it? It's a wonderful story. So when you, when you share this with people, just tell them these questions. That's the first one, keep in mind. The second question is, what you don't like about? You don't like about, sorry, something. I'm sure something you don't like. She lost all her <laughs> I like she lost all her money. That's right. And what? She got worse even. This is really bad. That's like it makes me really depressed. I mean, people, they go and kill themselves. They say, you know, no hope for me. What did you say? She lost hope, yeah. I don't like she lost hope. One more. Something you don't like about the story. Okay, the third thing I'm going to go through. Sorry. Okay, do you want to say? 
being unclean. Yeah, a society sometimes like this, you know, they, they put you in like if you're this and you're unclean, you're, yeah, you're right. You know, like refugee, to be honest, in Turkey, they were like the unclean women. Nobody wants to associate with them. Nobody wants to help them. They would tell them, go back to your home. We don't want you here. That's what they suffer, you know, refugee. That's what they suffer in there. But Christ accept them. He said, come to me, you know. He'll hug them. And that's, that's how, that's why the story, you know, it really relates so much to, to the refugee suffering people. Okay, the third one is, what does it say about God? What does it tell us about God? Yes. He doesn't judge. Wonderful. Yes. He's compassionate. Yeah, full of compassion. You're right. Yes. One more. Huh? He's a healer. Amen. Okay, the, the fourth question, you got it? Okay, what do you like? What do you don't like? What is it about God? And the, and the fourth one is, what does it tell us about man? What does it tell us about man? Huh? He needs healing. We need healing. We all need him. Man judges. You know, they judge the woman. We need faith. Yeah, man needs faith. Yeah, man without hope. There's, there's a million of things you can think about, you know. As you share this with people and you tell them those questions, they think about it and it goes inside the heart and mind. And that's what's called, you know, and Christ starts to work in them. So the last one is, how can we apply it into our lives? How can we put this into practice in our life? What should we obey in it? What we should, we should we obey in it? We should share, yes, because this woman, you know what happened? She heard he's coming, and then she came and pushed her way. She heard. So people need to hear about Christ. People need to hear, and when they hear, they go, you know, how can they hear without somebody telling them? How can somebody tell them unless they are sent? You remember that verses? And how can they hear? So we need to be sent. We need to, they need to hear, and people are thirsty and hungry to hear. Amen? So five, those five questions keep them. You know, what do you like about, what you don't like about? What does it teach about God, about man, and how we should obey? Amen? Thank you. God bless you. I hope I didn't take so long. Humans were made to learn. We, we are constantly learning whether intentionally or not. Uh, we form habits. We learn new behaviors. We are always learning. My seven-year-old daughter, Skylar, uh, right now, she's learning a lot. Uh, the other day, Skylar and I were FaceTiming with my sister in Winnipeg. And so uh, we called my sister. She, and she answered the phone, and she was in the parking lot waiting to pick up my mom for work. So she, we had called her. She's just sitting and waiting in this parking lot. And so we were chatting with her a little bit. And in the background, we hear a honk. Someone had honked uh, at her. They were in another car I don't know why they were honking, but they, they honked. Maybe they wanted her to move or to get her. They want, maybe they wanted her parking spot. I don't know. Um, but as soon as the car honked, my sister had a knee-jerk reaction just to yell out, Go around, you idiot. And it wasn't loud enough that the other driver could hear. So she was safe. Her life wasn't at risk. But it was loud enough for Skylar to hear. And, uh, and so Skylar said to Auntie Avery, she said, what's an idiot? And uh, Dad said to Auntie Avery, yeah, Avery, what's an idiot? Do you want to explain that to my seven-year-old daughter? And so she said, yeah, it, you know, it's not a nice word. I probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, and I joked with her after that. I said, thank you for teaching Skylar, my seven-year-old, what an idiot is. Um, and so she, now she knows that word. Um, but I think I kind of thought that was all in the past, right? I, I you know, we're beyond that. My, my daughter is a smart girl. She knows not to say bad words. But the other day, uh, uh, we were watching a movie. And so we're watching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. How many of you guys know that movie? Yeah. A lot of us know that movie. If you, if you know, it's, it's about Charlie. He goes to a chocolate factory, and there's a bunch of ungrateful kids there, right? Charlie goes, he's like the nice, lovable uh, one, and he's, uh, he's there with his grandpa, and they're, they're all having a good time, and there's a bunch of other like ungrateful kids there. They're all rich, and they're spoiled, and, and one by one, what happens is they all kind of get kicked out. 
So we're about three quarters into uh, this movie. I've fallen asleep because that's what I do during movies, right? I just sleep. And uh, I get woken up uh, from Skylar because she's yelling at the TV. She's exasperated and she's yelling, these kids are all idiots. These kids are all idiots. And <laughs> she apparently had not forgotten uh, what she had learned from her aunt. In fact, she was able to properly apply what she had learned. <laughs> um, and uh, all that to say, uh, as humans, we are constantly learning. We pick up things here and there, sometimes without even realizing it. We are molded and shaped by the world around us. And today we are talking about how we can be shaped by God's word. How we can learn about God and how we can have a relationship with him by being students of God's word. And what I want us to see is that we can go to God's word in all things to know him. And it is God's heart that we delight in knowing him from his word. So today we're continuing in our series called Disciple. This is the, the final week in our series. And today we're looking at, again, being students of Christ. If you're new here, we've been going through this six-week series on what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus. So we've been focusing on six characteristics that all followers of Jesus possess. All, all followers of Jesus should have and hone these identities. I want to look at them just as a reminder of what we've gone through in this series. So we began this series looking at being a worshiper. If you recall, being a worshiper has to do with delighting in God. It has to do with finding joy in your relationship with God. It has to do with things like your prayer life, obedience, and so on. And in fact, everything in our lives has to do with being a worshiper because they all have to do with finding purpose in finding, uh, with our purpose in finding joy in what God has called us to do and to be. Everything revolves around being a worshiper. We then looked at being a family member. So being a family member has to do with belonging to God's family, which is the church. It's about forming healthy relationships within, with, with those within the local church. It, it is our, uh, about our relationship with God the Father as we interact with his children. And then we looked at being a steward. And so being a steward has to do with our relationship with God's resources. It's about being responsible with what God has provided for us. And so as stewards, we, we look for needs and we show radical generosity towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. In week four uh, of our series, we talked about being servants. If you guys remember, being, being a servant has to do with our relationship with work. We talked about work being a good thing that was created by God. And that our hope isn't in the elimination of work, but in the redemption of work. And so we work diligently. We don't complain. We do things well. We look to the needs of others, and we use our gifts to serve in the church. And then last week, as we mentioned, we talked about being witnesses. And this has to do with God's plan to use his people for the advancement of the kingdom. So we talked about finding joy in what God has done for us, and that outflowing from our lips to share with others. We talked about coming back together as the church to remind one another of the sovereignty of God when we, we are fearful of, of sharing. We talked about coming together to pray for boldness in the face of adversity. And so today, again, uh, as, as we mentioned, we come to our last topic in this series, and we're talking about being students. So we're talking about learning from God and his word and finding life in his word. And so in all of these things, our aim and our hope is that we would be growing together as the church. We would come together in our discipleship groups to ask one another to hold us accountable in each one of these areas. We would identify weaknesses in our lives and our strengths and seek to sharpen others where we have gifts and seek to be sharpened by others where we have weaknesses and in all encourage one another to grow more and more in our faith in Jesus Christ. And so my hope and my prayer 
is that this series serves to shape us more like Jesus as we grow in each of these areas as disciples of Jesus. So let's get into our final topic of this series. Let's look at being a student. One thing that we need to understand to to begin is that being a student is fundamental to being a disciple. It is foundational to the very concept of being a disciple. The word disciple itself means learner. That That is what it is at its core. We don't use this word disciple much in our day outside of a religious context, but the word disciple is not even a religious word. It simply means someone who adheres to the teaching of another. And so to be disciples of Jesus, it fundamentally means to, be, to, to observe the teachings of Jesus. It is the very definition of the word, to be a student. <clears throat> Turn with me to, to the book of Acts to begin. If you've been at Renaissance for any time now, you've probably heard this verse. It is mentioned at many of our members' gatherings. It is a verse about what the early church looked like. It's how we see God adding uh, to, to the number of believers as the early church met together. And it is our heart for what this church would look like. It is also very relevant to what we're talking about today. So go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is what the early church looked like. It says this in verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We're going to pause right there. Okay, This is the earliest group of believers. These are people who have all put their faith in Jesus. It says that they are gathering and God is adding to their numbers. And what are they doing? It says they devoted themselves to, to what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the first thing that's mentioned about them. The early church were students of God's word. That's what characterized them. When they met, they were committed to the teachings from the word of God. So for us here today, that is why we preach from God's word every Sunday. We are largely committed to expositional preaching here at Renaissance, which means we go through books of the Bible verse by verse and explore what the Bible says. Now, we took a bit of a break from that for this series, but next week we'll, beginning, we'll be beginning a, a new series in the book of Ruth, which David's going to be preaching for us for the whole uh, month, uh, month of March. All right, and so, so we go through books uh, verse by verse to see what the Bible says. We also incorporate scripture in our members' gatherings, whether that is going deeper into the text from the sermon, or maybe that's reading a psalm together. We have a a women's Bible study happening now in the book of Genesis. We study the word in our leadership development class. And we read the Bible together in our discipleship groups. The word of God is vital to our growth as disciples of Jesus. And so we are committed to being students of God's word. So scripture is at the core of being a follower of Jesus and what we do relationally as the church together. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's look at why we are students of God. What is the purpose of studying God's word? First thing I want us to see is that as students, we learn to know God. As students, we learn to know God. This may seem obvious to some. To others, this may be brand new. The entire Bible is about God. In fact, all of scripture points us to Jesus. I shared this with a friend a little while ago, someone who I know to be a Christian, someone I would consider to be genuine in their faith. And this was brand new to them, that all scripture points us to Jesus. It is not about rules to follow. It is not about the heroes of the faith. It's not about nice stories about people that have a good moral to the story. All of scripture is about God, and it all points us to Jesus. The law reveals to us how God's kingdom functions. Narrative often tells us about how God relates to his people. All of the Old Testament is meant to point us to the Messiah that was to come, while the New Testament reveals that Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. 
there's a, a story in the book of Luke. It's about two men who were, were walking back from the Passover feast after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's commonly known as the, the road to Emmaus. Uh, and so these, these two men, um, they've just uh, witnessed the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, or they, not the resurrection, but they, they, they know of it. Um, and so they're walking and they, they're talking about what has just happened during this feast. Okay? What happens is, is that Jesus comes to them and Jesus approaches them and it says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Okay? So they don't realize it's him. They've been at this, this festival. They know of the, the, the death of Jesus and they don't recognize him. And so Jesus says to them, he says, he basically says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And uh, so they tell them that what had taken place at the festival, that this prophet had come, that they hoped he was the Messiah, how this man was crucified. And then after three days, no one could find his body in the tomb. And so Jesus, he hears all this and he turns to them and it says this. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I always think, that this would have been one of the coolest things to witness in the life of Jesus. Jesus walking with these guys and showing them that all of Scripture points to him. The whole Old Testament, the, the stories of judges and kings, the wisdom literature, absolutely everything. All of Scripture points us to Jesus. This is how we can know God. Just think of the, the most difficult parts of of scripture to understand and, and being able to like ask, ask Jesus what it means. Like, Jesus, what is all that weird stuff in Leviticus and Lamentations about? And he's like, that is about me too. And, uh, you know, I just think that would be so helpful in, in helping us to understand scripture. I would probably have all my sermons written by now. Um, but nevertheless, this is, this is why we study scripture, because it is all about Jesus. And so as students, we read scripture to learn about God. There's, there's a psalm in, in the Bible. It's written by David. It's the, uh, it's the longest psalm in the entire Bible. It's 176 verses long. If you have time, and you do, go on and read it. Um, it's fascinating. It's Psalm 119. Uh, but in it, David describes his relationship with God through Scripture. The, the whole thing is, about, is David talking about knowing God and his ways through his word. And I want to read for us just a little bit uh, for us today. Um, I believe this, is, this gives us great insight into what it looks like to, to have a relationship with God by knowing and engaging with his word. Um, again, if you have time to read the whole thing, you absolutely should because it goes so in depth about how we can know God from his word. So this is what he says. And we're going to start in, in verse 25. He says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Help me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen uh, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. There's so much in there about being students of God's word. And I want us to unpack that a little bit. We begin just looking at, at verse 25 here. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. This tells us that God's word is life-giving. It is where we get our nourishment from to satisfy our souls. In verse 26, David opens his heart to God. He tells of his ways, and it says God answers him. And what he says is the answer he's looking for is from his statutes. He says, teach me your statutes. So in vulnerability, God, uh, David goes to, to God to find uh, uh, his ways from his statutes. David pleads in verse 21, uh, 27 to understand God's word so that he can meditate on how wonderful it is. In verse 28, in his sorrow, he turns to God's word for strength. 
In verse 29, David seeks to turn from sin and pleads to be taught God's law from his word. In verse 30, now after turning from his sin, he turns to walk in righteousness according to God's rules, according to his word. In verse 31, David describes his heart for God's word, that he would cling to his testimonies, that he would not be put to shame. And then in verse 32, he seeks to run according to God's commandments as they swell up in his heart. And so in all of this, we see that we can have a relationship with God by being with him in his word. As David reads the word, he prays that it would impact his heart so that he could live by it. He prays that it would give him life, that it would strengthen him in his sorrows. In all things, David seeks to know God through his life-giving word. Would that be where we find ourselves today? Longing for God's word to change us, seeking for it to humble us, seeking to understand the beauty of it. That's, that's one of the most interesting things that I, uh, I notice here. David says, he says, make me understand the way of your precepts. And so to some level, David doesn't always understand God's word, but he shows us that we can prayerfully come to God seeking help to understand and walk by it. Church, we have the privilege of having God's word. That is something that the majority of people throughout history can't say that they have had. You have the living word of God with you. You probably have it with you at all times on your phone. And so let us cherish that. Let us, like David, turn to it to know God, to live by his rules, to be satisfied by the life it gives and the beauty that it is. Open your Bible when you're sitting on the metro or on your way to work. Resolve to memorize scripture, meditate on God's word, ponder how beautiful it is, go to it to uplift you in distress, feed your soul with it. That is what it is meant to do for us. And this is how we can have a rich relationship with God through his word. So as students, we learn to know God. Next, as students, we learn to live out God's word. As students, we learn to live out God's word. Many of us here have, have been students in our lives before. Uh, some of us currently are. Maybe you go to university or CJEP or maybe a, a community or trade college. I suspect, though, that whatever you're in school for, uh, you're not doing it for no reason, right? Right? You're, you're doing it for a, a purpose, right? You're probably not going to school for eight to ten years to get a master's, uh, to, to get a bachelor's degree, then a master's or a PhD, and then never ever practice what you've learned, right? Learning is inherently for living out. And it is the same thing with scripture. As students of God's word, we learn to live it out. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so we study God's word in order to live it out. This means a couple of things. First, being a student of the word isn't just for intellectual knowledge. It's not just so that you can know more about God, so that you can be smarter. You can know a lot about God, but never truly know him. So reading scripture is not, is not primarily for head knowledge. There, there are many people who know a lot about the Bible and they have no real relationship with God. There's a lot of people out there who know their Bibles very well, even better than most Christians, but they do not actually know God. You can think, think about uh, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they were the most intellectual of the religious people in Jesus' day. They were well-versed in the Bible if you were a Pharisee in Jesus' day, you would probably have at least the first five books of the Bible memorized. Some may have the entire Old Testament uh, uh, memorized, right? That's incredible. Um, but yet, it is these same Pharisees that clashed with Jesus over and over so much that they resolved to have him arrested and put to death. Many of the Pharisees knew a lot about Scripture, but they did not truly know God. And so Scripture isn't just for intellectual knowledge. It is to be lived out in relation to God. 
the, the book of Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy, it says, all of scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So again, the purpose of scripture is that it would be lived out. It is that we would be corrected by it. This means we don't come to scripture with it all together. We come in need of correction. It is for training in righteousness, meaning that we need scripture to train us to be righteous. It says that the man of God may be complete. So we read scripture to edify us, to transform and to shape us. And that we are to be equipped for every good work. This means that we are uh, to, to allow God's word to, word to shape our lives so that we would live it out. We do this all through relation with God and through the power of his Holy Spirit working in our lives. And so as students, we learn to live out God's word. And finally, we see as students, we learn to delight in God. As students, we learn to delight in God. Raise your hand if you've ever felt the Bible was difficult to read. Yeah, probably most of us here. Um, unless you were just born into like this ancient uh, Hebrew Bible family and they're just like, I'm going to teach you Hebrew from the age of two. Um, yeah, probably all of us here, right? Don't worry, I'm not here to, to judge you. I find it difficult to, to read sometimes too. Maybe you're not much of a reader. Maybe you find ancient literature like the Bible difficult to understand. Maybe you're convicted when you read scripture. Maybe you find uh, a bunch of rules that you're not living up to. I want to speak to you directly here. This is not what God intended. God intends us to delight in his word. God has given us his word so that we can find joy in him in it. Let's go to, to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, it describes the joy that should come from God's word. Let's read what it has to say here. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So God has given us his word for us to delight in. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Being a student shouldn't be a chore like it may be for you going to school. Being a student of God should be a joy because God intended it to be. It is a delight because God, God's word gives life. That's what this is saying here. It nourishes your soul. When you delight in God's word, when you meditate on it, the Bible says you will be like a tree planted by streams of water and you will produce fruit. So de delighting in God's word is how we will produce fruit. Um, this is from uh, an author named Sophie Miller. She writes this. She says, bearing fruit isn't a burden for branches abiding in the vine. They simply, they're, they're simply doing what the life of the vine is producing in them. As we abide in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, we will bear his fruit. We'll be fruitful by, de by delighting, not in our accomplishments, but in the law of the Lord. She says, we'll prosper not by burning the candle at both ends, but by meditating on God's word day and night. If we're not seeing fruit in our lives, perhaps it is because we are not delighting in his word. One way we can delight in God's word is that we see Jesus in his word. In fact, when we look at scripture, we see that God sent his word in the person of Jesus Christ for us to delight in. Speaking of Jesus, the gospel of John says, in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the personification of God's word himself. Jesus fulfills the whole of scripture, Old and New Testament. 
So as we read through the creation narrative, we see that Jesus is the word who was there in the beginning, creating the whole universe with the Father. As we read through the Israelites' exodus story, we see that Jesus came to redeem his people from being slaves to sin. As we read about sacrificial laws in the Old Testament, they are there to point us to Jesus, the better sacrifice, who was able to truly atone for our sins. His sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to God the Father because it was perfect. And so it satisfied the Father's wrath. As we read through genealogies, we see the long line of people that lead up to Jesus. Many people who the Israelites thought, is this the Messiah? Will this be the true king of Israel? Is this who's going to come to give us rest? Will this be the redeemer, the one who will reverse the curse of sin? And all the people in the line point up to Jesus who would be all of these things and so much more. As we read the minor prophets, we see they foretold of the Messiah who would be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. They, pro they prophesy of a king that would bring salvation to God's people. And Jesus is the true word of God because he fulfills all of scripture. It is all about him. His life is parallel to the very words of God. He is the word. And he came so that we could delight in him. Did Jesus come to condemn us? No. Did Jesus come to tell us to get our act together? No. He didn't come so that we would have to work off our sin. He didn't come so that we would have to earn our salvation with God. He came to fulfill the law that we were meant to keep but have failed to. And Jesus was rejected by his own people. They nailed him to a cross where he faced the wrath of God for the sins of the world. And God raised him to life again three days later. And he offers forgiveness of sins for those who put their faith in Jesus. And this is why we delight in him. Because he alone is worthy of it. We are now free from our slavery to sin. We now have a relationship with a loving God again because of Jesus. A relationship with God that, uh, God that invites us to know him, not out of fear, but out of delight. And that's how we can be students of God. So maybe you're here and you're asking, what does all of this have to do with discipleship? In discipleship, we come together to read God's word together, just as the early church did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. So within our discipleship groups, we read scripture together. We sit down, we open up God's word, we ask for him to speak to us so that we would understand his precepts, so that we would live by his word. We come together in discipleship to encourage one another according to God's word. We seek to strengthen one another according to God's word. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So use God's word to speak to each other so that we are not formed by opinions or what we think is wise, but by the very word of God himself. Discuss the sermon with one another. What we teach here ought to be rooted in God's word. Read Psalm 119. Do that. See how David relates to God through his word. David went to his word to be corrected in his sorrow, to, to learn to be obedient for joy, for satisfaction, and for life. And so go to God's word for all of these things and at all times. It is for your delight. As we wrap up this series, I want us to, to, to zoom out for, for just a minute. What I want us to see is how tied together all of these identities are. Let us see how, how interwoven all of these aspects are together. As we look at these, these different qualities, notice that as a student, what you learn about God will impact how you live your life in relation to his church, to being a witness or to being a steward. Notice how you do or don't invest God's resources back into the kingdom as a good steward impacts your relationship with God's people, members of your church family. Notice how being a worshiper 
Delighting in God will impact all of these areas of your life. Your joy for being adopted into God's family, your satisfaction for his provision, your ability to go and share the gospel as a witness. All of these identities are interconnected with one another. And so we seek to grow in all of these areas of our lives so that we can experience the fullness of God as we delight in him. Would you join this church in seeking to grow together in each one of these areas as we strive to be more and more like Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. 